Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5. KPL 232-1542. It is thrilling to be here today. And I want to start today by um, reiterating something I said on Winging It Wednesday this morning. I will have a policy on the show. We haven't really talked about it much before because we haven't really gotten into an election season yet. I mean, we've got some federal races going on, and this policy does stand uh, during this season. Uh, but I have an open mic policy, an open invitation, open mic policy for any candidate that wants to come on to the show, come into the studio, and spend some time just introducing themselves to the voters and tell the voters why they should support that candidate. This is open to candidates. It is not open to candidate spokespeople. It will not be a scripted uh, questions in advance type deal. This is a very basic, hi, who are you? What are you running, running for? Why? What do the voters need to know about you? No trick questions. No, nothing confrontational. So a Democratic candidate doesn't have to worry about me trying to trap them because I'm a conservative radio host interviewing a Democrat. This is just an introduction to the voters because, you know, we had the conversation on the air this morning. How do you get voters to care to go out to vote? And in my opinion, and Stephen Hanwork, who was in this morning, we, we both said, you know, we've got to look at the local. We've got to get people interested in the local. If you want to affect change, even at the state and national, you need to get the local. You need to get people to care about the local, to care about the stuff that directly involves them, that will most directly impact their lives. So I have an open invitation to any candidate that's running, and that will go for local, state, and even federal. And yes, as a man of my word, I have already sent a direct message to Gary Chambers, for example. I will be reaching out to Luke Mixon's people. The basis of this show has been and always will be giving you guys, the listeners, all of the information. Now, whether or not a politician comes on and gives you all the information, whether they try to hide through subterfuge or whatever, that's on them. But I want every candidate to have an opportunity. I will not turn a candidate away if they want to come on and talk about why a voter should vote for them. I think it's the best way to handle that. And if you're connected with any candidate out there for any race, uh, go ahead and tell them. Email me, joe at redstate.com, and we can set something up. It's not, again, not going to be a tricky interview. Now, the reason I bring all this up is the story from over the weekend. This might be the biggest red flag for Democrats in the state of Louisiana. It might just be, as Scott McKay hinted at, at the hayride today. Uh, his headline, I won't call it a death rattle, but this fight at the Democratic Party uh, gathering in Baton Rouge over the weekend. Uh, Tyler Bridges has it at The Advocate. The Louisiana Democratic Party capped off an afternoon of confusion Saturday by voting to endorse the three main challengers to U.S. Senator John Kennedy. 
The vote was an attempt to unify the party, but Gary Chambers Jr. afterward cried foul, citing the politics of race and noting that the party's executive committee had favored him Tuesday over the other two Democrats, Luke Mixon and Syreeta Stabe. Chambers, who is black, said Katie Bernhardt, the white party chair, had changed the rules Saturday to ensure that he didn't receive the full party's endorsement. In a quote, Chambers said, Katie Bernhardt told me last October that a black man could not win statewide. She amended the bylaws to keep me from getting the endorsement. Uh, later on in the story, Bernhardt uh, pushes back. And let me, let me find the quote here. Um, Bernhardt, uh, Bernhardt said that she didn't favor any candidate and told Chambers that any candidate had to spend a full year com- campaigning to have a chance of winning. Chambers wasn't yet a candidate in October. Bernhardt then said, we had division going into the meeting. I, ha- I think now we have even less. If you're going to endorse all three candidates and not unite the party behind one candidate, you don't have less division. You have more confusion. And that's what the Democrats have going into this race. It's not as though they really you know, have a snowball's chance in a Louisiana August day to get, uh, even, uh, to even get John Kennedy into a runoff. But you, you really have to do a better job of organizing and trying to get people to unify behind a candidate, put the party's resources, what little there may be, behind a candidate, and give that candidate all the push you can. Now, right now, it looks like the favorite is still going to be Gary Chambers as the top Democrat against uh, John Kennedy. Luke Mixon still struggles with uh, raising money. Chambers has raised a lot, but has not been able to hold on to a lot of it. But Chambers has name recognition. He's got some viral video campaigns that are out there. He is capable of generating headlines. Even in this, even in a story about the state party endorsing all three candidates, the story itself is about Chambers. He knows how to manipulate that media coverage, and he works it to his advantage, frankly. Um. And this, this story just kind of goes to show it. Luke Mixon is the preferred candidate of the white Democratic establishment. And they have been really, I think, uh, unimpressed with Mixon's uh, ability to raise money, which is really weird because the same people who raise record amounts of money for John Bell Edwards are not able to raise anything for Mixon. The Democratic donors in the state of Louisiana simply are not enthused with the guy and so it's creating problems for the state democratic party uh, and it's creating problems for luke mixon chambers has been able to get a lot of out-of-state money but has not been able to hold on to it he's been a pretty prolific spender uh pretty soon is the internet ads won't be enough and chambers will have to be on the air on tv on radio running ads as to why the people of lafayette like Charles, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Shreveport, Alexandria, Natchitoches, Monroe, whatever city, explaining why those voters need to go out and vote for him in November. I don't know if Mixon will have enough money to run ads, and uh, if they, if if he does, they won't be running ads here. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe they will. You know, for the sake of the station, yes, absolutely, Luke Mixon, run ads here. We'll take your campaign money. But 
these candidates have to spend their money wisely. And you have to look at the smartest ways to do it. Now, if you're flush with cash, you flood the market, you, you raise your name ID. The problem is none of the candidates are flush with cash. And the state party not uniting behind one candidate makes it difficult for them to put all of their money behind one candidate. And that will continue to be a problem for the Democrats going forward. But like I said, there is an open invitation to Gary Chambers. There's an open invitation to Luke Mixon. I will be reaching out to his campaign. Um, I will be reaching out uh, to uh, Cyrita Stabe and inviting, uh, inviting all the candidates onto the air. I will be reaching out to John Kennedy's people and saying, hey, I'm inviting all your opponents. You want to come on and talk? And I hope he does. because John Kennedy is just great to talk to. But as far as the local races go as well, that's going to be a thing. And I would love to have Gary Chambers on to tell us why we should support him over John Kennedy, why the state Democratic Party should have endorsed him. I want to hear these answers from his mouth and not hear about it through a podcast, through uh, a, a television interview or a national radio interview or anything like that. I want him to tell the people of Louisiana directly. So open invitation to any and all candidates. If you are a candidate or you know a candidate, you know, have your folks reach out. Joe at redstate.com is the email address. Let's go ahead and take a break here on the Joe Cunningham Show. When we come back, more of what's going on around the state. I'll get to some national stuff, but I want to keep things fairly local uh, if I can for today's show. But we'll have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. So yeah, it is uh, kind of chaotic at the Democratic Party of Louisiana headquarters, I guess. Uh, not able to uh, come together to support one candidate, instead splitting the party endorsement three ways. That's not healthy behavior from a party. And here's why. At this point, it is halfway through August. You then have the rest of August, you have September, you have October. This is the time when you get your voters to come out and support you. You have to motivate the voters before this election. In order to have the best chance, your voters need to come together really behind one candidate because if they don't and it's split, you're not going to be able to take a super popular candidate like John, Can like John Kennedy into a runoff. The more your voters show up, the lower the percentage of the voters going to Kennedy is, and your goal is to have enough Democratic voters to go out that would reduce the share of the vote that Kennedy gets. Kennedy will get the same number of voters regardless, but the more overall voters there are, the smaller the share of his voters will be. The whole point is not to win in November. The whole point is to get Kennedy into a runoff. Now, why is that? In a general election, especially in Louisiana with the jungle primary, everything's about getting your people to show up to vote. That's what you do in the general election. 
That's what you do in states that have primaries. That's what you do for primaries. Your job is to get as many people to come out and vote for you as possible. It's all about getting people hyped for your candidate. It's all about getting people ready to come out and say, absolutely, I'm going to pull the lever for this candidate. And because the Democratic Party is not endorsing one candidate, they are essentially water they're they're essentially keeping their vote divided. They're not telling the Democratic voters, you know what, we think this one's got the best chance. Let's go ahead with that one. You need as many people going to this first November election in Louisiana. Because the time you have between the November election and the runoff is all about suppressing the other side's vote. Now, keep in mind, I'm not talking about like illegal suppression that people like to claim every voting cycle, election cycle. What I mean by suppress their vote or depress their vote is you run all of the attack ads that you can. For the runoff. In order to depress the other side. Man, I can't go out and vote for this person. Or man, this race is negative. I don't feel like I need to be part of it. And those voters stay home. Now, if you can keep yours motivated, but depress the other side, your odds of winning go up. If you have enough money and enough negative ads you can start getting the other side's voters to stay home. Of course, it's a double-edged sword. Look at the uh, 2019 election for governor in Louisiana. The attack ads that came when there should have been positive ads building up a candidate forced voters to stay home, sent John Bell Edwards into a runoff, and so thoroughly angered Republican voters that they stayed home entirely when they should have been going out to vote for Eddie Rispone, who had spent all of his money attacking his Republican opponent and not his Democratic opponent. He killed his own voter base in that election. So the Democrats really need to focus on building up one candidate, building up enough voters going out to reduce the percentage, the share of voters that John Kennedy gets in November. But by not solidifying their support around one person, they're essentially saying, you know what, we don't, you know, vote whoever. Well, that's not very motivating. That doesn't get your people out to the polls. That's not going to be enough, but it's almost as though The Democratic Party of Louisiana doesn't care because they know that they're not going to win this. So why even bother? But you have to motivate your voters. Each and every cycle, you have to get your voters engaged. Because if you stop engaging your voters for even one cycle, they're going to stop being engaged for the remaining cycles. Well, you didn't want my vote last time. Why do you suddenly want it now? And the Democrats are going to find themselves even further behind in all this. 
the Democrats will find themselves in deeper trouble. And the result is going to be a severely crippled Democratic effort in Louisiana. But that's why this morning on Winging It Wednesday, we were talking about the fact that you need to motivate people at the local level. If you motivate at the local level, they will largely vote down ballot with the same party. But they have to start getting their people motivated across the board. Let's take our bottom of the hour news break. When we come back, let's cover some national issues. Let's let's hit some of the headlines of the day. Let's talk about last night's election for a little bit. We'll have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 is the number to be part of the program. So uh, Joe Biden has signed the Inflation Reduction Act, the the Build Back Better 2.0, the Green New Deal, whatever you want to call it. But there is a provision in the bill that actually will make the green energy movement unhappy. Um, There is a provision in the bill that forces the... Biden administration to recommence with some oil and gas lease sales that they were that they had canceled uh, you know during the energy crisis and leading up to the energy crisis. So now uh, in a surprising move that is going to anger the far left and the Green New Deal uh, proponents, Biden is reinstating the largest oil and gas lease sale in the history of the United States. This is according to Fox Business. Let me see if I can find... Okay. Um, There should be no questions about the issuance of leases from the Gulf of Mexico lease sale 257. The legislation is clear and mandatory. Congress has acted and the leases must be issued in the lawsuit will be dismissed. That comes uh, from the National Ocean Industries Association president, uh, Eric Melito, to Fox Business. American Petroleum Institute Senior Vice President of Economics Policy and Regulatory Affairs, Frank uh, Macharola, says the decision by the Biden administration is the right move for the short term. However, it's not good strategy for addressing long-term energy needs. While reinstating lease sale 257 is a positive step toward uh, forward for American energy leadership, the legislation as a whole fail, uh, falls well short of addressing America's long-term energy needs. So the oil and gas industry happy with this oil and gas lease sale in the Gulf. But the problem is that it's only a small piece of the American energy solution. The Biden administration still says that the Inflation Reduction Act is beneficial to all Americans because it requires the government to hand out a ton of money if uh, Americans buy electric vehicles, set up a charging station at their home, set up solar panels, things like that. The problem is Americans don't have the money to do that in the first place, much less wait several months for a tax rebate. Because again, the tax rebates are not instantaneous. You pay for this, or you start, you know, if you get an electric vehicle and you start paying that monthly note, you'll get the tax rebate later, but it doesn't quite cover the cost of the vehicle. Not even close, actually. 
but it is the government handing out more money, which will actually hurt inflation rather than ease it. The House Natural Resources Committee uh, is filled with Democrats who firmly believe that all drilling in the Gulf should be uh, done away with forever, so they won't be happy about this. The far left will not be happy about this. Um, a poll conducted uh, by the Associated Press Nork Center for Public Affairs Research showed that only 35% of U.S. adults are extremely or very concerned about the impact of climate change on them personally, compared to 44% in 2019. They care about other things. They care about what I've been saying, the kitchen table uh, issues. The Biden administration is doing what the law says, and they're doing it begrudgingly because they don't want the far left mad at them. And in fact, if Republicans go out and tout this and they thank the Biden administration for doing this, you will see, like I was talking about the last couple of segments, a depressed Democratic vote because of it, because the Democrat voters really, really, really care about climate change. And if the Biden administration is uh, going back into oil and gas lease sales in the Gulf, those far left voters who, who care the most about climate change are going to throw their hands up and say WTF. They're going to, they're going to be like, what is all this? I thought we were doing well. I thought this was a climate bill. Because remember, the media won't call it the Inflation Reduction Act. The media is calling it the Senate climate bill, the Manchin-Schumer climate bill, Biden's uh, climate bill. They're not calling it the Inflation Reduction Act. And the few people in the media that do that say, wait, this is called the Inflation Reduction Act. Why, what does it actually do to inflation? The Biden administration doesn't answer the question. They do this, they, they, they run circles around the question and start talking about all the benefits and how this saves. Biden's press conference yesterday where he celebrates signing this bill, he talks about the wonderful impact it will have on fighting climate change. He does not say anything about inflation yesterday when he signed the bill. But now the very same progressives that were cheering this on will now hear about this provision and they will go, what's going on here? The Biden administration is selling oil and gas leases again. What's up with that? And they'll get angry. And they'll rage against the Biden administration. They'll say this is more bo broken promises from Joe Biden. And they will, get, will give up. And they won't go vote. And the Democrats are hurt even more. It wouldn't be an issue if the Biden administration had not embraced openly such disastrous energy policies in the first place. If the Biden administration had in the... Their, if, if their methodology had been to take baby steps on this and slowly regulate these things and slowly move past it and work on industrial innovations and partner with them instead of forcing the changes through heavy regulation and mandates, it wouldn't be as much of an issue. But the Biden administration said, yes, we are going to put our boot on the throat of oil and gas companies. And so oil and gas companies are not developing anymore because of all the regulation and the cost to produce. And all the environmentalists cheered and said, yay, yay, we're finally getting what we want. And then you turn around and you have this. 
You have an energy crisis where the Biden administration is trying to figure out what they're going to do. And so this is just one of the things that gets slipped in as a provision to try to help the, the short-term energy problem. And the environmentalists are going to lose their minds over it. But that is what happens when you decide your policy based on polls and headlines. If your entire governing philosophy centers around looking at the polls and looking at what people are upset about and shifting your policies every few days in order to fit, in order to fix what's wrong in the polls, you're never going to have good policy. And the Biden administration has not had good policy pretty much ever, but the American people have been keenly aware of it since August 15th of last year. Keep that in mind. The polling clearly shows that after the Afghanistan withdrawal, Americans lost that, that rosy picture of Biden that they had, and they realized that this is yet another administration, a long line of political administrations that don't actually know what they're doing. And you wonder, going back to conversations earlier today and earlier in the show, why voters don't care to go out and vote anymore. And you wonder why voters don't really want to get out and, and go to the polls and waste a day to go out and vote when they just know they're going to be let down by more politicians. So again, I say unto you, start getting involved and start caring about the local. And local politicians start getting people motivated to go out and support you. Because as Liz Cheney showed us all last night, you can't focus on the politics of far, far away and expect to win at home. And on that note, let's go ahead and take a break so we can discuss what happened last night and going forward, the shape of the conservative movement here in the United States. 232-1542, if you want to call in and be part of that conversation, we'll be back here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be involved in the conversation. Now, I don't want to go too much into the election last night because I told you guys for the past two days how it was going to go. Liz Cheney in the polling was down by as much as 29 points. She lost by nearly 40 points in Wyoming. And what happened? I told y'all. As much as everybody wants to make it about Trump, it's Liz Cheney who made the election about Trump. By focusing on the politics of Washington, D.C., she ignored her state. And Harriet Hageman, or Hageman, or however it's pronounced, Harriet Hageman has a, a very, very uh, easily mentioned that... Uh, that or, or made the race about Wyoming. Sorry. Uh, Harry Hageman made the race about Wyoming. And the voters in Wyoming saw that, noticed that, and also noticed that Harry Hageman wasn't calling them uh, supporters of a tyrant. Uh, Liz Cheney in, at an event in California said that you can't be for the Constitution and for Donald Trump. Well, 70% of your home state voted for Donald Trump. 
You can't insult 70% of the voters of your home state and expect to do well in your re-election bid. But that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is this. Liz Cheney, last night, compared herself to Abraham Lincoln. Well, you know Abraham Lincoln lost races for the House and the Senate and all this. He eventually won. He won, uh, he won uh, state political races uh, during a state Senate debate, I think. You know, he, he, uh, you know, he was out there debating and, and you know, he, he won some. He was known to, with no law degree, was known to write legislation um, and write pretty good legislation. But Liz Cheney and Abraham Lincoln have very little in common. Abraham Lincoln was known to move to a new town, fight the local bullies and thugs, and win the town's support. He didn't join congressional committees that uh, called every, that, that that insulted uh, that insulted every James Buchanan voter out there. He didn't focus on the politics of Washington D.C. When he was in his state, he was supporting his communities. When he got on the national stage, he made slavery the number one issue. Not any one person, but an entire institution. And was able to win on that. The only thing that Liz Cheney and Abraham Lincoln have in common is that they were both taken out by a booth. Liz Cheney does not have anything in her resume that makes her comparable to... Abraham Lincoln, but she doesn't care. Now she's making noise about thinking about running for president. Now she wants to start an organization that's focused on, uh, on bringing the Republican Party back away from the clutches of Trump or whatever. And you know what? I'm fine with that. I am fine with her starting a political organization. In fact, she should be cheered for launching an anti-Trump organization. I will raise a toast to her for convincing Democrats to donate money to her rather than to Democratic candidates. Because that's what's going to happen. It's not going to be Liz Cheney getting money from Republicans to stop Trump. It's going to be Liz Cheney raising money from Democrats and that money will not go to Democratic candidates who very desperately need it. And if Cheney decides to run for president, well, guess what? If you can't win a primary in your own state, much less an election in your own state, you're not going to win the presidency. Who is Liz Cheney's market? Who is the Liz Cheney voter nationwide? Because every Republican in the Republican primary is going to go for a Trump or a DeSantis. And every Democrat is going to go for the Joe Biden or whoever is running to replace Joe Biden. What, tell me what Republican is going to vote for a Republican presidential candidate who has spent the last two years insulting Republican voters. What Democrat is going to vote for a Republican, much less a Cheney, 
What Democrat is going to vote for anybody with Cheney in the last name? Not a one. But this isn't about whether or not she can actually win. This is about the, the ego that it takes to think that you are the savior. And that's why she lost. Liz Cheney lost because of a savior complex and focusing on the issues of Washington, D.C. and not remembering that it is the people back home who put you into office. It's not the Democrats and it's not the media that gets you put into office. It is the people back home. When you ignore that, you lose election after election after election. She had no problems winning elections as somebody who wasn't a Trump fan. Remember, she won 68% of the overall vote in 2020. But she spent the last two years siding with Democrats and calling Republicans every name in the book in order to win the accolades of her fellow Democrats and the media. This is less about the right doing the right thing, like so many people want to make it out to be, and more about this savior complex that Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, and all these others have. And when you do this, when you have this type of mentality, you turn all of the voters off, and they're not going to come out and support you. The media is not going to support a Liz Cheney. They're not going to support a Cheney. They're not going to support a Republican. But they're going to be happy enough to use her to attack other Republicans for the time being. They will be more than happy to do that. She's going to be used here by the media and by the Democrats. And then she will be tossed aside like a rag doll. And they will continue to circle the wagons around the Democrat, whether it's Joe Biden or whoever's running to replace him, because they're not going to support a Democrat. They're not going to support a Republican. And they're not going to support a Cheney. And it is absolute ignorance on Liz Cheney's part to think that she has some sort of political future after the bed that she has made for herself in all this. But you know what? It's her prerogative. If she wants to do it again, I will be happy to see a bunch of Democrats donate money to Liz Cheney rather than to actual Democratic candidates. All right, that's it for me. 23 hours until the next Joe Cunningham show. In the meantime, check me out on Twitter uh, at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't go too far because Shannon and I will be here for Offsides in just a few min minutes. And it's Remember Wednesday. We're going to have a lot of fun there here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.